You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today's a guest speaker, we have Jeffrey Silverman, co-founder and managing director at Laconia. And in this episode, we'll focus on the question that pretty much every founder is thinking of. How much money should I raise? And we'll also talk about capital strategies. What does it even mean to have a capital strategy and how to develop one? So Jeffrey, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Laconia. Well, thank you very much for having me. Excited to be doing this. Uh, Laconia was started in 2014 by myself and my partner and better half, David Arcara. We are a B2B fund focused fund. We are geography focused, uh, is in the Northeast of the United States, and we do seed stage and series A. We lead or co-lead about 90% of the deals that we do. And we are sector agnostic. So we've done deals that are in um, digital health. We've done advertising tech. We've done ed tech. We've done logistics. We have done supply chain. Um, So a little bit of that, a little bit of this. Awesome. You just answered a bunch of my questions right away. I was about to ask you, what do you like to invest in and what stage do you like to invest in? But my next question here would be, why are you geography focused? So you mentioned North North America or? Uh, the Northeast. So we- Northeast, we invest, where's that? Yeah, we invest in, the Northeast, I would tell you is um, Boston, New York, Philly, DC. Mm-hmm. So we're really about the mid-Atlantic up to now Toronto. Um, why we do why we're focusing at geography and let's discuss this is pre-covid um is because we are pretty active hands-on investors uh we take probably anywhere from two to four months to due diligence a company we work very closely with the founders we focus on three areas with them we focus on operational execution we focus on sales acceleration and we focus on capital strategy which i know we'll be talking about more in the coming uh, uh, session. Um, Absolutely. So we feel the ability to be able to jump in the subway or jump in a car or on a plane for a short commute and meet with the founders face-to-face is really important for us. There's just things that even in the day of COVID right now, a face-to-face meeting, a roll up the sleeves, a whiteboard session is really, really important. And we feel really, uh, important that we have those type of close relationships that when a founder says, hey, can you swing up tomorrow or can I sit down with you and go over something? Um, we feel that it's much better for us and for them. Right. The whiteboard means is what I miss the most pre-COVID. I think, you know, this sitting in one room and brainstorming, you know, physically together, it's, uh, I miss it. But let's let's not get back oh, to well, COVID. Just to, just to extend, and the Northeast is as a territory, if you compare it to like just San Francisco or anywhere mm-hmm. else, it is the largest uh, venture area in the in the world. So right. New York might be, let's say, number two behind San Francisco, but when you start to add in Boston, New York, Philly, DC, and Toronto, you were talking about a very active uh, venture sector of the world. Most definitely, yes. The West Coast, there is the West Coast and there is the East Coast, and anything between those two, um, not as active yet, but I'm, I'm 
see more and more of my speakers and investor speakers coming from those, you know, male parts of America. Like we just, I just had an interview uh, published where the founder of a company was saying how important the Michigan for him is and how, you know, big of a center for, uh, for his businesses. So things are changing now. But no, let- no, listen, there's no question COVID has, first of all, for COVID, the small and medium-sized markets, a tremendous amount of opportunity. You know, Austin, Boulder, New Orleans, Charlotte, um, Detroit. So doesn't mean just because we're Northeast, it doesn't mean that there's that's the only place to look. There are some great companies. And as you know, people can start companies anywhere. And COVID is just, if anything, made it even more so. Right, absolutely. So we're prepared to see some changes. But let's jump straight to the major subject sure. of today's discussion, which is capital strategies. Can you define what a capital strategy is? What does it mean? Yeah, so most people when starting a business are so focused, rightfully so, on what problem are they trying to solve? Um, they want to build a company that is solving a problem that is a big problem that other people are going to want to pay for that solution. And they're going through the go-to-market strategy. They're discussing what the technology has to be like. What they really don't take the time to do is discuss and think about what is the strategy to raise capital? How much do I need? Um, And what milestones do I need? So we really spend a lot of time during our due diligence, which we like to call business planning with the founders. Mm -hmm. Try to sit down with them and understanding what their capital needs are going to be, and what are the key milestones. So if somebody comes to us and says, I'm looking to raise $4 million and it's gonna last 36 months, that doesn't tell me anything at all. (laughs) Because they can't go to a series A lead or series B lead and say, well, this is the state of our company, but we just spent $4 million in 36 months and we did what we were going to do. The person doesn't really care. Funding is based upon milestones. And it could be, you know, how much monthly revenue or annual revenue are having? Are we seeing sales traction? What does your pipeline look like? What's your development of your technology? There's a lot of things to go into that. And so I think it's really, really important for early stage companies to really map out, you know, how much money they need to get to those milestones and then confirm those are the right milestones. So you could sit there and say, well, I think it's important. I'm going to raise enough money to get to do $10,000 monthly recurring revenue. But the market could have changed and say, you know what, that's not enough for us. We're going to walk and really take you seriously until we see $25,000 monthly recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. Now you've got yourself in a pickle. Absolutely. And let's talk about how you can develop those capital strategies and how you can prove that those are actually good capital strategies. So let's start with the milestones. When, uh, you know, the founders, before they start raising, of course, they do. They put time into developing those milestones because they themselves need it for the tracking of the company development. But how can they make sure that those milestones are good for the investors? Should they actually go out to the potential investors and ask them, you know, is it good or is it not something that is acceptable? Right, so that's a great question. So you first wanna start off with, let me start off, let me answer a second question first. And that is, the longer you can build your company without going out for capital, the better off you're going to be when it comes to ownership stake, all right? Because on average, a founder will be diluted 20 to 25% each time they raise money. 
And so you want to make sure that you have some strong equity position by the time you want to exit the company. Otherwise, you've give, you've taken such risk and worked so hard for not for not much of a return, and that would totally suck. So to now to go to your first question, um, you really want to map out some of the goals, what you're trying to solve, how you're going to have where the so it's the bucket is technology. You know, is it going to be an Excel spreadsheet? Is it going to be your alpha, or and what the beta is going to what's the beta technology going to look like, and what's the the first release version 1.0 going to look like, and how much money are you going to need to get it through those three steps? Um, you're going to want to talk about how many customers and how you're going to acquire those customers. What is going to needed for the sales and marketing strategy, um, and the employees you might need to hire. Um, and then the milestones is it's great to have conversations with the VCs and potential investors when you're not looking for money. You have to understand funding is a lot about relationship development. And so mm -hmm. we will take, we will spend a year, year and a half getting to know founders. And I love when they come to us with questions without their handout. And they'll say, listen, I'm not currently raising money. I will be in six to nine months, but I wanted to start to get on your radar. I wanted to start developing a relationship with you. I want to get some thoughts on your thoughts of what I'm building, what we're doing, what questions should I be focused on that I'm not, what um, key performance indexes, KPI, should I be tracking that I'm not? Um, what are the when would I become interesting to you? What size is the company going to become interesting to you? And so mm -hmm. I can sit there and say, well, listen, we like companies that are starting to do twenty-five to seventy-five thousand dollars in monthly recurring revenue. And when you start to get to ten to fifteen thousand, we would start to date you and start to go through some, start to get to get you know your business a little bit better. Um, and then. The next part for if you're going to start looking at a Series A, you might want there to be 125 to 200 thousand dollars a month in recurring revenue. And there are other aspects that go into this. That's just revenue focused. You know, for our firm, we're going to focus on the sales pipeline. We're going to want to focus on the pricing. Is it stable? Or are you still trying to figure out pricing? We're going to want to focus on usage. Are the clients actually engaging with the technology that they've purchased or licensing from you, or are they not? So there's many different um, KPIs that we are going to want to look at. And so to speak to a founder early on and help them develop those KPIs and help them develop some of those milestones is great. The other side of the coin is we want to see how they communicate. Are they going to keep us posted? Are they going to send out a monthly update? Hey, I said I was going to do ABC this quarter, and I actually did ABC this quarter, or I didn't. Because at least with our founders, one of the many things they have in common is they're all great communicators. And every month or every quarter, we get a report from them. And they tell us what's going on. They tell us how they're doing, where they fell short. Um, so if you're not communicating before you have my money, there's no way you're to communicate after you have my money. Mm-hmm. Right, that's actually a very good point. And the communication is something I want to touch on to just really quick. So those monthly updates, I've seen them quite a few times and some of them seem to be just way, way, way too big. So like, I know uh, four or five pages, what do you think is a normal size for this you know, monthly update for a potential investor? 
So what we, listen, the last thing I want to do, the most, let me start, the most valuable asset an entrepreneur has is their time. And so the last thing I want to do, or a firm wants to do, is waste an entrepreneur's time with just doing reports. Mm -hmm. All we like is the following. We want an email that has the elevator pitch. And why the elevator pitch? Because the elevator pitch of the company will continue to evolve and change. And me as an investor or a potential investor, I'm a walking billboard. So I want to see what your elevator pitch is. And I want to be reminded what it is. So if I'm speaking to other people, I'm actually promoting you and I'm given the right positioning and the right words that you want me to use. So I want to see the elevator pitch. Um, I want to see what good things happened this month. Closed three enterprise clients, increased revenue by $10,000, made three hires, whatever it might be. But what good things happened this month that we should be aware of? Bullet points. Mm -hmm. I wonder what bad things happened this month. Life isn't always roses. So, you know, being an entrepreneur and being an investor, we're riding on a roller coaster at Disney World. And I want to know what the downs are. I want to know what the quick turns are. So tell us what's not going well and let us work together as a team to address that. Anyone should, no one should ever be afraid of, of having bad news for an investor and what they might do. Because the good investors will say, all right, I'm aware of it. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's try to solve the issue. Once I write that check, we're married. And so I can't back out, you can't back out. So let's work together in solving the challenges. So I wanna know the bad news. And then the last thing is the ask. What's the ask? What We're looking to hire a salesperson. We're looking for introductions to these five customers and make the ask very specific. Mm -hmm. Don't like when people give a very broad ask. I'm looking to get a new customer in the consumer packaging industry. <laughs> right. And it's like, do you want a Kraft General Foods or do you want a mummy's choice? It could be one extreme to another extreme. Like, where are you? But if you mention, I'm looking to get in these five companies, and you might have a list of 100, but if you're looking to get in these five companies, it at least allows me to understand immediately, do I know any of those companies? Or, wow, I see the size they're trying to get into or the stage or the the sector, got it, I can help. So make mm -hmm. the ask very specific. That's all we're looking for. Absolutely, and that's great advice. I mean, making the ask very specific is crucial because from what I see, especially in the early stages as the founders, you know, when I ask them, you know, hey, uh, how can I help you now? Like literally right now, and they're like, uh, uh and that just caused them so much pain. I can see it in their eyes. So. Please, please, please prepare the specific ask for anyone you're basically talking to. You never know where you're going to find that perfect introduction that you're looking for. Uh, but let's move on and talk about something that you mentioned earlier, which is your due diligence process. So you mentioned that you spent like four months uh, making the due diligence. What is included in that due diligence and why is it taking like so long? Because on average, from what I saw, it's roughly one to two months. Yeah, so four months is on the long side. It's anywhere from, you know, we can always accelerate it. Um, it's probably two to four months on average. So a few things. One is some of the some of the timing is based upon that the the founders aren't fully prepared for the, the, the all the material that's going to be requested. So sometimes VCs are get blamed for going slow. Um, and I would tell you that 
when you start to ask them for their model, their marketing plan, their technology roadmap, and all the other things that go with it, they really might not have it all put together, which is fine, but then don't expect there to be a quick process. The second I would tell you is a lot of the due diligence, and I would say, again, business planning is relationship development. You know, this is not going to be an arranged marriage. I'm not going to get married on, on you know, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And so if I'm about to write a 750,000 or million dollar check to somebody and be an, a really active investor, then I really need to know what's going on with them and know what's going on with the company and get to know it as well as we possibly can. So a few things that are important. One, we would, once we've decided that we like this company, we want to take them to due diligence. It's important to know Laconia due diligence as a team. There are five of us. Um, and we all bring a different sight, a different view, a different knowledge to the due diligence process. And so we don't have partners meetings where one of us is trying to sell the other one on the deal. Through the whole entire process, we're working in, in partnership with the founders uh, to get to know them, their business. And so it's really a really collaborative process, which I love from our firm's perspective. So we're very upfront. We will tell the founders upfront here are all the due diligence questions and steps we're going to have for you. We send them out a sheet that has it all broken down from a corporate perspective of due diligence to an operational, to a sales and marketing, to a technology, and to a finance. And they can see where we are in the process. So it should never be a black hole. And a founder isn't sure. They can should be able to ask the venture funds they're talking to, where are we in our in your in, the, in your process? What else is coming down the line? Because it's not fair to make them feel like they're in a in a, in a blind or in a, in a black box. It's just not mm -hmm. fair. So we're very transparent with taking the founders, making them aware of where you are in the process, um, what information we need. We usually start with take us through the deck, take us through the financial model, and take us through the cap table. That's the first pass. And with the financial model and my partners, Jerry Karlova and David Arcara are masters at it. Um, they really, we really dive in on it. And I don't want to, I'm going to use the word challenge, but not in a bad way. We'll challenge the numbers to understand why they put those numbers there. And what does that mean? And how they derive to that number could be revenue, could be how quickly they thought they would close a sale, how fast ramp up was going to be. We're just trying to get in their head and understand the business as well as they do, which we never will, but we try to get as well as we can possibly understand the business um, and challenge them on questions of like, well, it's interesting because we're seeing this across other portfolios where our experience of 35 plus years operating businesses has shown us this. Why do you think this and we think that? And just mm -hmm. opens up a dialogue. And that process continues through the diligence. Um, we want to get to know them. And it's obviously been a little bit different in COVID, um, but we're going to go out to have dinner with them. We might even go for a run in the park. Um, I want to, you know, we want to see how they treat other people. We want to see how they treat the cab driver, how they treat the waiter or waitress, the bartender, um, because how they are is going to be really important of how they're able to raise money, how they're going to treat their employees. Are they going to be able to recruit talent? If the person is not a nice person, then they're gonna have a really tough time, you know, uh, retaining talent, hiring talent, raising capital. Um, 
you know, I don't want to, we live in a no asshole policy. I want to invest mm-hmm. in people I like. I want to invest in people that I'm going to spend a lot of time with. Um, Absolutely. Very, very blessed that the, you know, companies we've invested in, the founders that we've invested in, um, these are going to be lifelong friends. Right, right. Absolutely. I was once recommended to see, I mean, to take a look at one founder with his company. I was like, yeah, the, the app looks great. They have nice traction. Then I had a chat with the founder. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're not going anywhere. I just don't like the guy. And so the person who referred me to him, you know, he was like, hey, but they, they, the whole thing is great. It's a very promising project. I'm like, I just don't like the guy. That's it. That's it. Uh, so, yeah, it's a very important thing here. Um, but let's move on and actually get back to the major topic that we're supposed to discuss, which is how much should a founder raise? So let's pretend that they've developed this, you know, uh, set of milestones and how should they plan budget for each and in terms of um, what's the average time frame that they should take? So like, should they raise money to last for a year and a half? Should they raise money to last for three years? I, 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 I'll go back and push back. It's not time. It's not time-based. You know, obviously, it's going to take four to six months. Let's just say six months to raise capital. All right. So mm-hmm. you don't want to raise, and it's very the hardest thing to do is to operate a business and raise capital. Okay. It's hard enough to operate a business. It's really hard to raise capital and operate a business. So you don't want to raise money for 12 months. And know that after six months of spending the money, you're already back out in the market. And really, realistically, how much could have been done between in the, over, over the last six months? Are your numbers going to change that greatly? That your story is so different that you're going out to people again and saying, "Guess what? I saw you six months ago or nine months ago. I'm back." So yes, from a top perspective, you should really, really be raising money that is 18 to 24 months. But at the end of the day, if you are doing $15,000 monthly recurring revenue and you catch a tiger by the tail and within 11 to 12 months, you're now doing 125,000 MRR and you've checked, you've hit the milestones and you want to accelerate, then do it. Then go out and raise capital. You shouldn't be like, well, I told the investors I was going to raise enough for 24 months and it's been 12. And even though I hit the milestones, I'm going to wait for another 12 months. Why? If you're going to slow growth down, you need more more money, more you know, gas in the tank, fuel to that fire, then go out. As long as you've as long as you're at those milestones. Mm-hmm. Right. So speaking of milestones and speaking of coronavirus, a lot of companies who develop you know great milestones, I've seen it personally, and a lot of those companies they just could not live up to those uh, pre-COVID expectations after the pandemic broke out. What's your advice to those people? How can they get out of that situation? You know, I think early on, and we were, you know, being, I think one of the advantages to Laconia having a concentrated portfolio is we were able to, at the end of February and early March, and I'll steal something from former President George Bush, was, you know, the first phase of COVID was shock and awe. And we were able to, since we are a concentrated portfolio, roll up our sleeves and sit down with each of our founders and really ensure that we were able to tighten the budget and make the nec- and, ha- and work with them to make the necessary changes to preserve cash. Because at the end of the day, cash is king. Um, you know, we've had one company that, you know, has a great client base and really cut back really a lot. 
because the restaurants and other customer bases they had were were you know were shutting down. So you know to keep people employed and increase your burn when there's they're all on a, they're all on hiatus doesn't do any good. And as they're starting to come out of a hiatus, they're starting to loosen up and start to accelerate. So it was okay during COVID. Hopefully these companies quickly saw that, oh, wait a second, there's a lot of uncertainty here. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to cut costs and I'm going to focus on maybe just developing the technology and not focusing on sales right now and, and cut everything back. And as things start to open up, I'll start to hire people back again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from an investor perspective, there's no question we have to have a COVID lens on it. You know, looking at it saying, okay, how does this business now look? Is this business exciting in the new world of COVID over the next 18 to 24 months potentially? And it was exciting beforehand. Is it still exciting? Or is it, wow, you know, we did a deal. We just closed a deal, Noteworth, that we were talking to them since October of last year. We passed on it twice. And as COVID came, it was what was needed for that company to go from a nice to have to a must have. And although 2% of the business volume going through the system is COVID patient related, it was COVID caused the, um, the client base to now need it. And it accelerated, mm -hmm. we, led, we led the deal in March. Um, but again, COVID was good for that business to accelerate the adoption of a, techno a digital platform for in the healthcare sector. So I think it's really, you know, you really gotta be focused on exactly, is it gonna help your business or is it not gonna help your business? And if it's not gonna help your business, can you pull back the burn and make it last until we get through the other side? Absolutely, that's great advice. And you kind of answered my next question. So let's jump into the last question. Your mind. That's how we're connected. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so let's let's move on to that. Wait a second. Can you read the last question that I have for today? I'm not even looking at the questions. We're just having a conversation. Can you can you read my mind? That's oh your mind. Yeah. Yes, I am having tonight. I'm having I think tacos. <laughs> if you're nearby, I would invite you. Uh, well, that's that's actually close enough because my last. <laughs> call to action what's the one thing that you would like the listener to do as soon as the episode is over tacos excluded <laughs> <laughs> um the one th oh, the, okay, so one thing i'd want the listeners to do all right this is gonna be out this is gonna be a little bit different than what we've been talking about i would say to you the most frustrating thing for me is uh people do not really know how to develop relationships and what I mean by that is we probably have 10 to 15 meetings or pitches a week. And I might get one or two thank you emails or follow-up emails. Mm -hmm. um, it gets very tiresome for people to reach out with asks only. And if they don't like the answer or they don't think you're interested, they leave. The last three companies we have funded, we have said no to those founders two or three times. And we kept, they kept in touch with us. We continued the relationship. And within six to 18 months, we ended up funding them because they either, the business got to a place where we, they, the business got to a place where we were like, wow, we really like this. And we got to know them better. And it was like, wow, they're great communicators. So I would guess long-winded answer was, I want people when they get off this, hopefully they've learned and enjoyed it, but I want them to really think about how they develop relationships and take, realize how important it is 
timely communication is. You know, I'm a little bit older than you, and I had to write a handwritten note, put it into an envelope, write the address, put a stamp on it, and probably most of your listeners don't know what I'm talking about, um, and get to the <laughs> post office and drop it in the mail. All they have to do is get on their phone and send me an email. Right. 95% of the people don't do that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's not nice. And I think actually the handwritten email is not such a bad idea. I imagine that if someone in 2020 receives a thank you note in a handwritten way, they would be so shocked. They will definitely respond. So you know, my call to action seriously would be go out, check, check out some people who helped you in the past because I can guarantee you that there were some people who helped you. Just check in with them, say, you know, hey, do you need any help from me? I'm just here to say thank you. So keep those relationships running. Yeah, fundraising and fundraising is all about relationship development. Absolutely. You walk into some VC or some, you know, family officer or angel and say, hi, uh, you don't you like my idea, will you write me a check? It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And if you're not developing, you're not able to communicate with, to the, with them now, then why would I think you're going to be able to communicate once my money has been wired to you? All right. Absolutely. So yeah, just make sure that you follow up with people. If uh, you have, uh, if you've pitched an investor your project and they said no, still follow up and say you know thanks for your recommendations because 99% chance that those investors will explain why exactly they're passing on the deal. So do that. Make sure you're nice to peer to people because people who are nice are more likely to attract capital. And have a great day. Eat time.